I'm Charlie Albone and welcome to episode three of season two of That's How We Grow in partnership with Still Garden Power Tools. Gardening brings with it so many rewards from creating beautiful spaces to watching amazing plants, fruits and vegetables thrive and grow. Seeing a garden that you've nurtured and cared for being enjoyed by others is a very satisfying feeling. My guest today is an Australian food icon, a widely recognised amazing chef. You probably have one of his cookbooks in your kitchen. Yes, it's Matt Moran. A love for fresh food and local produce, Matt knows the benefits of looking after a beautiful veggie garden. For me, it's hard to beat the taste and satisfaction of freshly picked fruits and vegetables from your garden. They are always the most delicious, the more juicy and the most rewarding. To care for the plants and then see a beautiful crop grow, well, words struggle to describe the satisfaction. For Matt Moran, he needs to grow large amounts of seasonal crops to supply his many diners every single night. How does he work with his team to deliver this large quantity and ensure amazing consistency throughout? Well, hopefully Matt will have a couple of amazing cooking tips to share with us as well. Let's jump into the veggie plot with Matt and see what we can cook up. My guest today is a world-renowned chef with about a million restaurants, and I'm lucky to say that I have eaten at quite a few of them. There's Aria, Chiswick, River Bar, North Bondi Fish, Barangaroo House, Opera House, Opera Bar, Chop House, and a new pub called The Rock Lee. He's also an author who, let's face it, has a cookbook in every household in Australia. So everybody, welcome Matt Moran to That's How We Grow. How are you, Matt? I'm well, man. I'm very well. Gee, I'll tell you what, if I had a million restaurants, I'd be in trouble because there's no way I'd be able to staff them at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's a trouble. Isn't it? How does somebody get into, um, well, first of all, being a chef and then mm. into owning so many restaurants and, and doing so many different things with their time? Yeah, look, that's an interesting thing. Um, look, I, I, uh, I had a, a farming background when I was very young and then we moved off the farms, lived in the um, western suburbs of Sydney, um, pretty rough sort of area out around Blacktown. Um, and uh, wasn't that academic, um, which is bizarre because I've got two very academic kids, one doing medicine and the other one doing, doing uh, <laughs> school. Um, and, uh, and I would have done anything just to, to leave school. You know, I would have been a, a motor mechanic or a painter or, or whatever. I just wanted to, to get out of school. My father wouldn't let me unless I had a, an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started baking a little bit uh, in a, in a uh, I think it was a um, Woolworths or something, I think from memory or something like that. It was like a, you know, bakery in a, in a supermarket yeah. um, for work experience. And then I started working on weekends in, a, in an RSL and I kind of thought, geez, you know, this cooking thing's all right. But wasn't really that passionate about it, didn't really care about it because, you know, everything came out of a, a packet or a cool room or, mm. you know, bread rolls were put on a tray and just baked. We didn't really actually make them. And, uh, and then started looking for an apprenticeship and I would have gone for about 20 interviews before anyone gave me a job. I was only a 15-year-old kid. Um, wow. And a, and a big kid. I used to play a lot of sport and, uh, and everyone used to say, look, you know, you don't really have much experience and, you know, we're not looking for someone like you. And I remember oh, it might have been about the 18th or 19th, one guy said to me, he goes, look, if the first 10 don't work out, uh, we'll give you a call. And I was pretty... Pretty, you know, pretty down after that one. Yeah. And I had a, a interview in a place called uh, La Bechalene, which is on the north side, which little did I know, but was probably in the top sort of, you know, 10 restaurants in the country. And um, I found out where it was from Blacktown. It was about an hour and a half. And mm-hmm. I said to my father, look, you know, I don't really want to go for this interview. I was, you know, pretty beaten down. I thought there's no way I'm going to get it. And he said, look, you've made the interview going whether you like it or not. Yeah. And uh, I walked in there and, and I saw the, the owner who was also the head chef, Michael DeLawrence, who I owe a lot to. And, um, 
And I saw a piece of paper and it had about 20 names on it and they all had crosses next to them and then my name. And I thought, <laughs> this, is, this is my opportunity. So I just absolutely bluffed my way and I said, look, you know, I know that you're probably not looking for someone like me. I'm only 15. I don't really have much experience. But I, I said, I promise you if you give me a go, um, you won't be sorry. And because I said that, he actually gave me a, a trial for three days and then yep. told me on the, that he rang me on the Sunday night and said, look, you can leave school tomorrow. So I left school and... And I stayed there for four and a half years. I was actually head chef there by the time I was 18, believe it or not. Wow, that's amazing. And, uh, yeah, look, you know, but it was back, it was different back in those days, Charlie, is where, you know, I saw my apprenticeship as a, as a, my education, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went from school to working six days a week. Um, we were working anywhere between 80, 90 hours a week. So if you put that in time, you know, I did two apprenticeships really in, in four yeah. years, um, which, you know, obviously gave me the, the knowledge to learn how to cook and, and, you know, it was very French and very classic and I learned all the, you know, French techniques. And mm. strangely enough, at college I actually, I was, uh, I, I pretty much topped college all the way through because, um, one, I was working in a very good restaurant. Yes. Um, and we learned everything, you know, the, the proper way. Mm. And, uh, and then I have to be honest, you know, I reckon it was in, the first week of starting La Belle, I, I went home and I said to my father, my father used to have to come pick me up every night at midnight because I couldn't get home. Yeah. And uh, he said to me, is this what you really want to do? And I said, Dad, you don't get it. And, you know, I'm a little bit obsessive compulsive and you mm. know, I just absolutely become addicted to it and I fell in love. It's, it's been, um, you know, one of my greatest love affairs in, in life. But I never really envisaged owning restaurants because chefs didn't own restaurants back in those days. So they were restaurateurs. And, yeah. um and I, I think, you know, I'm pretty ambitious and it, it just um, it just sort of it, it changed as it went along and, you know, I never, never thought I'd ever be in this position. Um, but, you know, at the same time I opened my first restaurant when I was only 22. So, That's amazing. Um, yeah, something had, to, something had to progress and, uh, and I'll tell you what, there's not a day that goes by that I, I'm so grateful that I chose what I did because I still, my position's changed a hell of a lot, you know. Yeah. Seven or eight hundred staff these days, and um, but um, you know, at the same time, I love every minute of it, and I love being part of it, and I love building things. And you know, I yeah. keep thinking that I'm going to slow down, but you know, I keep buying more stuff and, <laughs> and doing more stuff. So, yeah, look, I, I'm very grateful, and I, I love it. And, yeah, uh, and yeah. what amazing support from your dad to come and pick you up every night at, at midnight and, and travel an hour and a half back home. That's mm. that's incredible. Yeah, look, an hour and a half by train I used to get there and, yep. look, it was probably not quite an hour and it's probably about an hour to get home. Yeah. Um, and he did that for a long time. Um, I think he was more – my brother was a little bit more academic. He's a year older and um, I was a little bit of a bad boy and, you know, played more sport and I think he was more worried if I if I quit then I couldn't go back to school and yeah. I'd have nothing. But he didn't quite understand the, the – well, he does now obviously but, um, you know, yeah, I'm very grateful mm. for what he what he had done in those early years. Um and you, but, yeah. you, you mentioned you, you started on a farm. Is that where your love of, of food and, and growing vegetables and things like that's come from? Yeah, look, you know what, that's, that's a really great point coming from you, um, you know, being the ultimate gardener. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I had a great um, upbringing, you know, in my early years until I was about eight and then Dad bought a little farm when I was in my teens and I used to go down there on weekends. Um, I don't have one of those beautiful stories about the romance of, you know, produce and farms and mm-hmm. veggie gardens and then, you know, into the restaurants. It was the other way around. You know, okay. there was a farming background when I was young and um, and the older I got, um, uh, the more passionate I got about um, farmers, mainly because I know how hard farmers did it and I, I, you know, I know how hard my parents did it and I know my parents had a dairy farm that they never had a day off for five years and, mm. and uh, you know, drought, floods and... 
And uh, I was lucky enough to get involved in the family farm, which is a new one, actually. We, we bought it 21 years ago, my dad, his brother and myself. Um, my father's since retired and I've bought them all out. So it's, it's now, it's still Moran family farm, but it's actually my farm. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, by seeing farmers and, and loving what they do and, you know, let's face it, if it wasn't for farmers, um, I wouldn't be the chef that I am because mm. if we didn't have this incredible produce, um, you know, we wouldn't be able to, you know, have this incredible food. So it's sort of like the chicken or the egg and yeah. it's it really sort of brought me back into farming a lot more and, and I love it more and more and I, I you know, grow veggies. Um, I actually I have an ambition to set up a market farm on the farm Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we obviously farm sheep, cattle, and, and I've got pigs too, which I love. Um, but, yeah, I, I want to – I bought a pub next to the farm about 10 minutes away and, and the strategy behind that was to obviously bring a town back to life a little bit and put a bakery and a general store and a, a pub and beautiful accommodation and things like that. Mm. But also for the guys that work at the pub to actually work at the farm and, and vice versa. So they actually sort of, you know, they've started to work together um, you know, I'm growing stuff that only for myself, but you know, the, I'm not there all the time, so I get the chefs to go out there and, and raid it every now and then. Yep, <laughs> which is great. And you know, it, it's important, I think, for for chefs to actually see where where stuff comes from um, and I'm how going, hard it is to grow it as well. Yeah, I mean, it, man, it takes it, a long time to to, it, to grow a cauliflower and a broccoli, and yeah, and to well, ruin it, it's just devastating. Funny yeah. you say that because uh, I've got a heap of brassica because um, we're uh-huh. cold country. Yep. And, uh, and nothing else will grow in winter because we get a bit of frost and snow. So mm-hmm. um, I planted brassica at my restaurant at Chiswick, which I've got a little market garden out the back. Yes. And um, and I've planted uh, brassica in, in uh, the farm and it's just amazing um, how far the farm is behind because of the, the weather obviously is very different up there. But, you yeah. know, I've got cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, um, cabbages. I've got all that growing at the moment, which I can't wait. What's your favourite thing to grow? Oh, oh, look, <laughs> anything that I can eat. <laughs> um, you know, look, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm that sort of person. I've got a veggie farm at, at home too. I live on, yep. the, on the coast in Sydney, but um, I've got a little veggie garden that I've sort of uh, claimed as my own and, and it's the same gardener that actually helps me there that does Chiswick, Peter Hatfield, who's, who's just absolutely brilliant and I love him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, during those sort of spring, summer months, I'm growing all those things that you, you use a lot of, you know, things like... Um, you know, cucumbers and, and zucchinis and, and, you know, cherry tomatoes and normal tomatoes and, and things that sort of grow that you can use all the time. There's nothing better for me to actually, you know, go and buy a piece of protein from the butcher shop and uh, not knowing what I'm going to get, just go in there and see what's fantastic mm-hmm. and then come home and just go down to the garden and raid whatever I can. Um, you know, there, there's something about, and I, I know, you, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the wrong person, but I know that you know when you grow something and you know the story behind it and, and the way you've nurtured it and the way that you've looked after it and, yep. and whether you're a farmer too and you've bred something and you hear that story from whoever you're getting it off or you do it yourself and you can relay that story, mm. um, I don't care what anyone says, if you know the romance and, and something about where the produce comes from and you can tell a story, it just tastes bloody a lot better it sure, it sure does you know it's funny when you grow your own food and, and you obviously mm. do it on an enormous scale but for the home gardener when you're growing your own food you're not going to really become sustainable so you do fall in love with what you're growing and you yeah. make you know yeah. you really make sure you cook it well and cook yeah. it properly yeah. uh, and and you have to make a celebration of it when you're cooking mm. it and have family around and, and truly enjoy it but also you've got to use it you know that, yeah. that's the great thing and and what I love about being a chef and, and a restaurateur is about seasonality and you know gone are the days Charlie that my restaurants you know use asparagus when it's in season and then we start buying it from Peru or Mexico 
go, you know, that, that's not a, that's a no-go zone these days. You know, okay. I love the idea of using produce that's in season and when it's gone, um, you know, you look forward to getting it back again. And, you know, whatever you're growing in the garden and whether you like it or not, you know, you've got to use it. And, and to me that's all about sustainability and that's all about, you know, um, and, and doing the right thing. Do you ever have uh, any time where a, a crop finishes earlier than you'd like and you'd have to quickly change the menu? <laughs> um, yeah, look, that, that does happen all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, or, you know, in my case, um, I have things that, you know, I might be away, I might be shooting, I might be travelling or whatever else, and I, I've just got too much of it. And yeah. I suppose that's when the chef thing kicks in and, you know, if I've got too many... Um, you know, cucumbers, I'll pickle them. If I've got too mm. many uh, tomatoes, I'll make a, a, a tomato relish or, you know, um, kumquats. You know, I, I get kumquats. It's a good story, actually. I've got a kumquat tree and, and I always pick it every year and I get so mm. many kumquats, but I don't get enough to make a heap of marmalade. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lady next door across the road from me and I live on the coast, so, you know, you, you get the beautiful salt spray and everything. And... Um, She's got these organic oranges and I remember saying to my gardener one day, uh, I, I need some bloody oranges, I'll have to go and get it. He goes, hey, over the road's got oranges, you know. Um, if it's over the fence, it's yours. And I was like, oh, look, I can't do that. <laughs> so I actually walked over, I know her, and I walked over and uh, I tapped on the door and she's like, oh, Matt, you know, what can, what can I do? And I said, hey, look, I've just noticed you've got all these oranges. How about I do you a deal? I said, if you can give me two kilos of your beautiful oranges, I'll give you a jar of marmalade. She's like, I'm not bloody stupid. Of course I bloody will. <laughs> so there's a little bit of contra there too, which is great. Yeah, that works well. I'm uh, At the moment I'm madly juicing lemons because we have a yep. lemon tree that just has got so much fruit on it and it, and it goes off before you can um, mm. use it. Mm. So I'm juicing them, putting them in, the, in ice cube trays and, and emptying yep. them into polythene bags. So What you can do... Um, mm. You know, it's the time of year that you always sort of do it. Is um, you can make preserved lemon. Oh yeah, and preserved lemon is one of the easiest things to do. You just need big airtight containers, and mm-hmm. and you cut the orange into. Um, you don't cut it all the way into quarters, but you just leave a part of the the navel at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you do is then you sprinkle salt in it everywhere, heaps of it, and then you put it into the into the jars and you just keep squashing more and more lemons into it and all the lemon juice comes out, mixes with the salt and, you know, and then you just you can put a bay leaf in there, it's a bit of herbs in there if you want, mm-hmm. and it just preserves the lemon. So you've got all that juice that you're actually not wasting but you're actually not wasting the the skin either and you end up making beautiful Moroccan curry with preserved lemon. Ah, nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do that because I've got bags and bags of them at the mm-hmm. moment, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned you, you've got a gardener and obviously you would do having um, growing so much produce yeah. and having so, so much property. Do you get your hands dirty as well? Yeah, well, yeah. So in Sydney, Pete Hatfield does um, the Art Gallery in New South Wales for me and also uh, Chiswick at, uh, mm-hmm. at Mullara. And then he does my house um, in Gordons Bay, which, you know, he, he looks after that. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I sit together a little bit. But when it comes to the farm, it's too far for him to go. So... Um, the, the farm is, is actually, is me. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I do get my hands dirty. I'm not much of a gardener, but I'm, I'm getting better, Charlie. I'm okay. getting better, yeah. you know, yeah. and I think that's with anything that you're actually quite passionate about and you love it. Um, you know, I, I look, I obviously know what's in season. I know what I should be planting. Um, and I want it to be as organic as I possibly can. Well, yes. it pretty much is. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got sprinkler systems set up and all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm actually enjoying it a lot more. Um, it's just getting the time when I'm up there because I'm, you know, either at the pub or, you know, I'm marking lambs tomorrow. Um, right. So, and we've got, a, we've got a bit of a competition on how many lambs we've got. This is our, our second year for these ewes, so they're going to produce more lambs and 
and uh, we, I think it's only 200 views in that mob that we're doing. We're all having a guessing game and, and everyone keeps saying to me, well, what are we going to win if we if we get the number right? And I go, well, it won't be a leg of lamb. <laughs> <laughs> so does, do you, um, does the menu come first or does it growing vegetables come first? So do you, like, do you think of a menu yeah. and then plan for it or do you just yeah. say, yeah. this is what we've got, let's, let's make this? Yeah, look, it's um, it's interesting because I obviously have head chefs in in all my venues, and then I have Laura, who's been with me fifteen years. She sort of sits in between me and the head chefs, even though I've got a direct relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So we always try and change the menu um, seasonally, so four times a year, mm-hmm. um, and we always take in consideration that some things may not last that that whole period, or you know something might be damaged or whatever else. So we can always just change it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're always sort of planning ahead, and same with the, the market garden at Chiswick, we always planting whatever we're growing in there it has to be on the menu uh, broad beans are about to, are just about to come on so they've got to be on the menu obviously it doesn't supply the restaurant fully because the restaurant's too big but yes. it just gives an indication of of taylor who's the head chef there that he has to abide by what's in season that's what he's got to use so um you know when it comes to protein obviously we we choose different proteins to obviously mix it up um but the the menu is really determined um by what is in season what what uh, what vegetables and, and herbs and things are around so what would what would your top three vegetables be like what do you really get excited for like knowing they're coming up uh, you know and you're gonna you're gonna be putting uh, them into the, the restaurants look i i um I only did it the other day, actually. I was at the farm and I had a beautiful little cauliflower. And um, I, I, look, I hated cauliflower as a kid because it just used to be boiled mm-hmm. and uh, and it was boiled within a, a millimetre of its life <laughs> um, until it was all mushy and horrible and sometimes you used to put a Mornay sauce over it. Yep. It's where, to me, cauliflower is one of the most diverse vegetables you can use. You can cut it in steaks, you can roast it. I bake it whole in a, in a cassoulet dish mm-hmm. um, with a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of olive oil and seasoning. And then um, I let it. Uh, then I take the lid off and let it get a bit brown and under the grill. And then I'll put some anchovies, some capers, um, and uh, and lots of burnt butter. So mm. butter, let it brown and, and baste it in that. And then squeeze the lemon juice. So you've got this beautiful sort of you know um, uh, acidic you know dressing with the with the nuttiness of the burnt butter. To me, it's one of my favorite. And lots of parsley at the end. Mm. It's one of my favorite things to do. So cauliflower is probably it. But I also I love cabbage, um, and cabbage is obviously in season now. Yes, and um, you know I love you know making coleslaws and things like that. If I'm going to do a, a like a Boston butter pork, which is the shoulder of the pork, and yep. slow roast it, when my son's mates come around, they they all love that sort of thing. Cause anything sort of um, massive cuts they love because they're growing boys. Yes, um, but I don't mind actually getting a little bit of uh, um, like a savoy cabbage and cutting it into 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 wedges and a um, little bit of hot oil in a pan, olive oil, good olive oil, and roast it right. and do, do something similar that you could do with a cauliflower or, or not. You know, you can put like a gremolata, which is a parsley, lemon juice and garlic over the mm. top of it. So you've got the, the fattiness of the, of the oil and the cooking of the cabbage um, and I let the cabbage brown on it. So I move it in the pan while I'm roasting it so you get this beautiful brown mm. crunchiness on it and then a bit of gremolata over the top so you get that acid um, with the fattiness of the cabbage and the and the oil, yep. um, and it just balances it out really well. So I'd have to say um, 
I have to say, cabbage. Now let's make you think of something that's not in season for the other time. It's, of the yeah, year. it's funny you say that about cabbage. I, I've started barbecuing um, yeah, purple yeah, cabbage, and yeah. it works really well. You know, like a yeah. mustard sauce on there yeah, and some lemon juice. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Cabbage is so versatile too, and and brassica are always so versatile. You know, Brussels sprouts. I hated them as kids because they were Same. boiled, boiled. For, you know, um, my nan, God bless her. Um, you know, she she's uh, she died in two thousand and twelve at ninety nine, and she was a very country cook and. And uh, I used to go up there and she could cook a leg of lamb on a Sunday and, you know, the leg of lamb used to be so overcooked and I could never say anything because she didn't care anyway, you know, who she was <laughs> cooking for. Yeah, I know I was a chef back then those days. But I reckon if the leg of lamb went on five hours before we were meant to, to eat it on a Sunday lunch, I reckon the Brussels sprouts went on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> they were smelly and yeah. grey and horrible and I hated them. But, you know, I love Brussels sprouts and I just roast them with some, um, in some oil with some raisins and, and uh, capers and, and, you know, some, um, even if it's just a French classic dressing, something to get some acid yeah. in there and not overcook them. But I also love Brussels sprouts, just chiffonade, like cut really finely like you mm. would with a cabbage and grated uh, Reggiano or Parmesan all the way through it and then, you know, some parsley um, and just like a, an apple cider vinegar and, and really good olive oil yep. um, and maybe some peas. But, you know, th- to me that it's like a, like a um, you know, Brussels sprout slaw. I, I yeah. love that because I find the flavour quite intense in a Brussels sprout. Yeah. So they're quite versatile. I've just given you three veggies. But, you know, I, I've got to say that, you know, I love things like zucchinis and <laughs> Zucchinis in summer um, because you can do so much with them every day. You know, Mm. zucchinis, as you know, grow like bloody, you know, anything. And, uh, you know, salads, you can pickle them and, and, you know, they're they're quite versatile. And when you've actually got a a good cucumber, I said cucumber, didn't I? Not zucchini. You said zucchini, yeah. Zucchini, right? Zucchini, you don't really pickle them. But no, cucumber, I meant. God, what am I saying? So cucumbers, because you use them in salads, you can pickle them and they're very versatile and you know how quick they bloody grow. Yeah, very quick. Overnight, they're, you know, growing three inches. It's just insane. Um, I've got to put a, um, like a slow... Film on one of those and watch it, watch it, watch it, uh, watch it. Like grow. a time lapse. Yeah, time yeah, lapse. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, do you plant any particular varieties? Because I mean, yep, yep. You know, when you go to the shops, it's just a variety that is made yep. for yep. long lasting. You yep. know, yeah, um, Telegraph but, and and, yeah. um, and and Lebanese. Yeah, look, I, I do, and you know, I particularly do with things like tomatoes. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got these little blush cherry tomatoes that we we grow at um, Chiswick every year, and we get it. We get like 150 kilos over Ooh. the over the course of, of their their lifespan. Yeah, um, you know, and it's not a massive patch, but you know, we we get these massive bowls. People come and we we pickle them, and mm. not pick them, we pick them and we just use them in the salads. And and I like things that you know, um, you don't have to wait forever, and you can. You can use them and, and then they sort of replenish themselves. So you've always got them for those couple of months. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, how, how do you get the best sort of flavor out of homegrown food? You know, we always say it tastes better at home, but how, mm-hmm. uh, do, you know, how do you maximize that flavor, I guess? Um, you know, try not to do too much to it. You know, that's, okay. that's the simple thing is simplicity is not a bad thing in my world. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, you know, cabbage just roasted, cauliflower just roasted whole um, you know, try and keep it as a as a whole piece. Like, you know, I understand things like an eggplant that you might uh, roast it and cut out and make a baba ganoush, and and uh, or you 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 might sort of take the middle out and put it into a curry or something like that. But you know, to me, there's nothing better than a, a 
uh, an eggplant that's cut in half with a miso, beautiful miso glaze so you can mm. actually identify what it is. Yep. Um, and simplicity is a great thing, you know, if it's, you know, even tomatoes, like a, you know, great beefsteak tomato or a, or a heirloom and just roasted with a little bit of salt and olive oil. Like to me, mm. that's just the, the best. Um, you know, I, I try not to try not to complicate things. Um, you know, I, I love making a vegetable curry every now and then. I understand that, you know, it turns into something else. But, you know, I, I'd, if I'm going to be at home and I'll be really honest and I'm going to cook for, for friends, um, I like the table to be, you know, full of um, vegetables and salads, which I love to do, and then I always cook a big piece of protein. And mm-hmm. and why I do a lot of salad, salads and normally warm salads or, or cold salads is because I can do it all beforehand. So when people turn up, I'm actually not a slave in the kitchen. All I've got to do is cook the protein. Um, and I like to see a, a table full of food, but I also like it to be seen. Um, you can identify with whatever it is. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, you know, even things like, you know, slow roasted carrots, you know, for, um, you know, for hours. You know, another thing that I love to do is sweet potato. And I don't know whether a lot of people know this and understand this, but sweet potato has got this incredible, um, you know, sweetness to it. And the, the longer you cook it, and what I tend to do is cook a whole sweet potato just on a tray, oil tray, kept whole, mm-hmm. and I cook it at about 100 degrees, 110 degrees for hours and hours and hours. And the little points where the, the root th- systems come out, um, what happens, and I, I've got this on video actually, and it, it's absolutely amazing, and I had these beautiful sweet potatoes and I cooked them for about six hours, and it looks like honey is escaping out yeah. of the sweet potato because all those sugars, you know, start to sort of break down and they're not caramelised but they just start oozing out onto the tray. And what I tend to do is just then cut the sweet potato in down lengthways and I push it out so you can see all the beautiful mm-hmm. – and it changes colour because you can see the, the darkness in it. And then I get that little bit of honey stuff that's sort of oozed out and I just dribble it over the top and then I put a tzatziki on top of it. So you've got this beautiful sweetness of the sweet potato mm. but then you have this incredible um, – acid of the um, the yogurt and the, you know, cucumber and garlic obviously yes. and that just sort of gives it a beautiful balance. That's something I do a lot and people come in and go and they see it before I put a tzatziki on it and they see, oh, he's just boiled a sweet potato. <laughs> like, but when they yeah. eat it and I explain yeah. the syrup and the sugars that come out of it, they're like, oh, my God, and they think that I've poured honey over it. They yeah. really do and I, I sit there and, you know, and then show them the video and go, no, there's no honey on it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's one of the great things about vegetables. You, you're obviously uh, a chef who still cooks at home. You know, you, you imagine the RSL <laughs> chefs go home and they just have a tin of beans. Is there any time that you just have a tin of beans where you just can't be bothered to cook? <laughs> oh, mate, no, I wouldn't have a tin of beans. <laughs> Look, I love what I, I, love what I do and, I, and, you know, I may not be – cooking at Aria, you know, five nights a week. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's a young man's sport. Um, but, you know, I'm heavily involved in the menus and I'm heavily involved. Of course, I own the restaurants. Yep. Um, and I love the chefs and, you know, I love talking to them about food and I'm very passionate about food. And, you know, if I couldn't cook, um, you know, it would just it would be the end of my life. I, I love yeah. cooking and, and my great escape is whether I'm cooking at the farm um, or whether I'm cooking at home, um, you know, I still love that, that, that aspect of it. And, you know, I'm very passionate about it and I'm so bloody grateful that I've, I've got such a passion. How are you not an enormous fat chef then if you cook, <laughs> cook and eat so much? You know what, I, I've, always, I've always said I, I train to eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's, just, um, that's just it. You know, you, you've, uh, you know, I don't drink alcohol, um, mm-hmm. you know, five days of the week. 
yep. um, and never have for 30 years um, unless I'm away somewhere. So if anyone ever sees me, you know, on holidays in Cairns on a Tuesday night, yes, I'm having a beer, yes, I'm allowed to. But um, I religiously try not to drink, um, you know, in Sydney uh, or when I'm working, you know, during the week and it's just something that I've, I've always done. Yeah, something um, I do as well actually. Yeah, that's crucial and um, I've actually got a lot of injuries at the moment. I've got a... I, I ripped my bicep on my right arm doing a bit of boxing and, and stuff and I've just had some cortisone injections, which has actually helped. And uh, I've got a – I went fishing with um, my good mate, good Ramsey, um, mm-hmm. last month up in Iceland and I fell on the boat and I've got a burster on my elbow. Oh. Um, so I've got a few injuries but I feel a lot better today because I had a couple of cortisone injections and, and uh, I feel as though I'll be back into it. So last four weeks have been hard so I've just been sitting on a bike and just sweating it out. Yeah, a, sure. On a, on a spin bike. But, yeah, look, I, I try and train, you know, as much as I possibly can. So you can eat as much as you can. So I can eat as much <laughs> as I possibly can. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. it's really important. You know? Yeah. So when you, when you do get out in the garden mm. – um, Tell me a bit about that. So do you mm. enjoy being out in the garden? Do you, mm. Does, does mm. it help relax you? Because you're obviously incredibly busy. Mm. Yeah. yeah, look, I have certain things in my life that that, um, that do relax me and, and I have to say I drive through those front gates at the farm and, you know, the, the, a different Matt Moran comes out, there's no mm-hmm. question. Um, you know, for many, many years I told them that I didn't have phone reception. So they, <laughs> some people still think that. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, they still don't get a phone call. They <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm a different person. I'm much more relaxed and I'm much more relaxed whether it comes to farming or, or whatever I'm doing there. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm leaving this afternoon. So, as I said, we're marking lambs for the next couple of days. And, um, you know, and I'll spend a bit of time in the garden. I've got one, one bed that I've got to rip out. So I've got eight beds there um, yep. and they're all raised. And uh, and I've got one that I've got to rip out. It's actually under a bay leaf, and it doesn't get enough sun, which mm-hmm. I've just realised. Yeah. Um. So I've got to sort of think of something. Oh, well, you, Charlie, yes. come on, you're the you're <clears throat> the genius. You're, okay. you're the guy. What what should I put? It's cold country, right? So we do get a little bit of frost. Yeah. Um. But frost is probably still going to go for another month. Uh. And it's sort of it gets a little bit of sun, but not very much because the yeah. sun's pretty low at the moment. So there's a lot of shade. Yep. What can I put there that's going to be hearty and grow? Well, if you're looking to eat something, there's really not that much. Uh, Sadly, you need a lot of sun. So maybe consider using it for some companion planting. Yeah. Some things that you might be able to use, say, um, nasturtiums, things like that. Although they like a bit more sun, they they will cope in the shade. You can even do some native violets. You know, you can eat the little flowers that pop up on those as well. So maybe do that and that will introduce some beneficial insects to the garden. And then, you know, if if you're not going to produce a lot from it, then maybe look at doing something else with it would be my advice. Yeah, the one next to it that doesn't get a lot of shade and I hadn't been there for two weeks and I came back and the rocket went mm. nuts Yeah, and the and the red vein sorrel just went nuts and I was like, wow, that's only three feet from there. Um, I had some topsoil and some other bits and pieces in, in that corner that didn't really work. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, rocket, and I know rocket loves sun, but it, the rocket just went nuts at the yeah. farm. I yeah. don't know why. Just, Probably yeah. the the... Drop in temperature. Yeah. Just keeps yeah. it along. So your tool shed must be pretty impressive. Have you got a, <laughs> have you got a lot of hand tools or your power tools kind of guy? Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm a farmer also. Yep. So, you know, we have a machinery shed. Um, yep. You know, I've got lots of motorbikes. That's one of my <laughs> other passions. And um, and tractors and and the old shearing shed, which was probably built in 18... 1880, 1870, mm-hmm. um, we've converted that into a tool shed. So, um, yeah, I, I've got everything you need, you know, and obviously living in the country we need firewood, so we use chainsaws yeah, and and uh, power tools and, and uh, you know, vices and things like that. But, yeah, it's it's not a bad um, 
It's not a bad shed and I've got a big shearing shed next to it that um, that's obviously much more modern these days because, yeah. you know, shearers, uh, shearers weren't really thought of much, um, even though my ancestors were shearers, um, weren't thought of a lot and, and uh, you know, we, you've got to, all the heights and things like that are very, really important. So yeah. It's a bit easier on them. Yeah, it sounds like you've got the ultimate place up there. It's like my dream. A good, Mate, good I, shed, I love good it. veggie patch. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I've got beautiful animals. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're just, you know, gorgeous. There's nothing be- It's very wet at the moment. Um, yes. We've never seen a season like this. And it's very hard to get around in a, in a four wheel drive. I've got to use a little Plaris thing that I scoot around in because it's. Uh, it's that wet. It, it look it, we put a we put a post in for a fence the other day, or, or Brendan did my manager, who I um, who I love. Um, he just put in a, a, a post um, about four feet into the ground, and he said it just just slid down mm. uh, because it's so wet. Yeah. So the the, the actual um, the water table is just unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it ever. You know, we've had more yeah. than double the rainfall um, our average rainfall this year already. Um, and last year well, it started raining after the drought in, in February 20 and it hasn't stopped since. How so has that it, affected the, the veggies you grow for your restaurants? I mean, that must make it very difficult. Yeah, it does. And this is another thing, you know, I'm, I'm part of a, uh, a foundation called Thankful for Farmers, which I, I sort of helped start, which is, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking after farmers in, in many different ways. Um, you know, people think, oh, well, the drought's broken and, you know, that's, that's fine. But, you know, you only have to look at the our food bowl in Sydney, which is, you know, the, the Nepean Hawkesbury River yeah. um, and, you know, Windsor and, and all those market gardens. And, you know, they've been wiped out so many times, you know. As everyone knows, you know, you're paying $10 for an iceberg lettuce. Um, that's not because someone's gouging. That's because no, it's just none. It's just not there, yeah. And, you know, you head up the coast and a lot of our stuff is growing on the coast. You only have to fly up there to see how much of our veggies and stuff are growing up you know, Ballina and, and Lismore and places like that, mm-hmm. you know, they've been unbelievably affected. Um, so it's not just drought. It, it's, it's uh, you know, heavy rain can, can kill a crop. Um, floods can kill a crop. Um, you know, mice can kill kill crops. It's yeah. just, yeah, the farmers just do it so tough and, and, you know, we've really got to look after them and appreciate them as much as we can. And growers, veggie growers, all of it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, really important. Do you use the animal manure from your farm on your veggie patch? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. You'd have I've a lot got, of it, um, I would assume. I, I do have a little bit, and uh, you know, we have we have sheep under the under the shearers um, shearers uh, shearing shed that we mm-hmm. we get. Um, pigs, I don't really, I don't, you know, it's, it's a bit harder for the pigs because yeah, you know, the pigs are a bit friendly and they try and knock you over and. <laughs> And uh, I can just see myself bending over, getting some pig poo, and, and one of them just bloody ramming me, um, just just for the laughs, I reckon. Um, and cattle, yes, of course. So, what I'm actually finding, I've got a great, uh, some great mates that live in Rockley, where where the pub is. Um, yep. Jude and John, and John's a horticulturalist, so he comes out quite often um, with his bags, and he gets under the shearing shed and, and fills his bags mm-hmm. up with manure. Um, and uh, and of course, you know, I use a little bit in the, the garden and compost and things yep. like that. And, uh, you know, obviously you see massive results too. But, you know, um, I grew up on a dairy farm and, you know, when I was very young, um, from the age of age of five, I think, to the age of eight, I think it was, nine, and um, it was at Badgerys Creek. And Badgerys Creek, if you, if you know anything about it, it's where the airport's going. But yes. for many, many years it was all market gardens mm. and a lot of Maltese and a lot of Italians. And um, I remember vividly 
Uh, obviously dairy farms, you know, cattle are in, in pens, you know, when you're mm-hmm. milking them, they poo everywhere. There's manure everywhere. Yeah. And uh, and this guy, I can't remember his name. I think he was Maltese. He, and my dad's name's Jim. And um, he'd come over in the afternoon. I'd hear him yell out to Dad, hey, Jimmy, got any manure? <laughs> hey, Jimmy, got any manure? <laughs> and, uh, and Dad was, of course, because he was a tomato grower. Yeah. So he would get all, all the manure from the from the dairy farm and, and go and uh, and go and use it for um, you know his tomatoes. But strangely enough, I never remember him coming over with tomatoes. So I don't know whether he'd still be around. But buddy, you owe me some tomatoes from all that manure for all those years. <laughs> uh, so do you have a favourite um, thing to grow? I know you have lots of things that you like to eat, but is there something you really enjoy growing? Uh, look, I think things that are a little bit unusual, like you mm. know, not not a lot of people know how to grow or how um, how Brussels sprouts grow. You yeah, know? and and to look at a Brussels sprout plant, it's pretty bloody impressive. Mm. Um, you know, I love cherry tomatoes and growing them in you know really high lattice. Yes, um, and so they're really easy to pick. Um, broad beans, I love. I love things that I can just walk out. And uh, and because they're all at different stages, you know, a tomato and a broad bean, ones will be ready to be picked, one won't, beans. And I love walking out in the garden at uh, and Chiswick and actually just I get into trouble all the time because I pick things off the, <laughs> off the, the garden. I just I just eat it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help myself. It gets, it, I don't know, it just, it's something about, you know, looking at something growing and picking Picking yeah. off yourself and eating it, you know, you just get excited. Do you, um, I mean, we've spoken a lot about vegetables. Are you mm. a big herb grower as well? Yeah, look, um, you know, all, all the hard herbs I grow all the time, you know, mm-hmm. and they're all thyme and sage and, and rosemary, um, parsley because I use so much parsley all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't really grow a lot of coriander and dill. Um, you know, the soft herbs, not as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've, I don't know, you've got to put a bit more time and effort into those, don't you? Oh, I don't, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a, coriander makes me feel sick, to be honest. <laughs> to be oh, honest, really? I, don't, I don't really grow, I just can't stand the taste. Oh, it's because but, uh, you come from the Northern Hemisphere, uh, mate. That's they're, right, they're that's not right. used to coriander, cilantro, I think you call Cilantro, guys. yeah, but if you, a lot of people find that it goes to seed really quickly, so you just need yeah. to constantly oh. sow seed. No, see, so. the great thing about coriander mm. is that when it goes to seed, you actually pick the seeds, and, and Taylor does this at Chiswick all the time. Yep. So he picks all the coriander seeds and then he pickles them. Right. And then he uses them on the off-season um, the because the, you still get the same flavour in the seed as what you do in the plant. Mm. So he pickles them so you get these beautiful pickled um, coriander seeds and he uses them. He gets jars and jars. And look, don't get me wrong, it's a bloody hard job yep. and it's time-consuming. But, you know, to me that that's uh, if you can't keep up with your coriander and then you pick your seeds, you know, you can use it at a different time of year. Well, if it tastes the same, it sounds disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> but how can you have a curry without having coriander? Uh, look, I don't mind it in things. It's just the, the smell of the leaf, I guess. You, I, I, yeah. You'd be surprised, Charlie, how many people actually say that they're allergic to it. <laughs> and they just say that so they don't get it. And they're, they're obviously, you know, look, maybe there are one or two people that most people I don't think are allergic to coriander no. and nothing else. They just don't want the flavour. Is there anything you don't like to, to grow or eat? Um, no, I'll, I'll have a crack at anything. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what, maybe because it's the, uh, you know, uh, my past at the Parramatta RSL, um, I'm not particularly keen on raw red capsicum. Right. I'll okay. eat it. I'll yeah. eat it. But, you know, you used to throw it on everything, you know, salads yeah. and steaks and whatever you could. <laughs> and, uh, and I could never really understand it. I don't mind it in a ratatouille um, and cooked, but raw red capsicum as a garnish. Oh, man, you'd, you'd be fired if you did it in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I'll ask you a, a final question. If yep. someone is 
looking to getting into becoming a chef, what mm. advice would you have them? And would you point them in a uh, sort of start growing your own food kind of direction? Yeah, look, I say this all the time um, and obviously I meet a lot of young kids that want to be chefs and, you know, as a mentor or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, there's no such thing um, as getting there, you know, uh, becoming successful and, and rich, you know, as you see on, you know, the TV shows and whatever else and you see these celebrity chefs and, and whatever mm. else. It, it's a hard slog and, uh, and time is knowledge, so you've got to put a lot of time in it to, to actually learn it. You can't learn how to cook and, and learn everything about it in, in one, two, five, ten years. You know, mm -hmm. I've been doing it now for, God, you, you don't want to know, Charlie, but over 35 years mm -hmm. and I still, I'm the tip of the iceberg, I'm still learning and, I, and that's the great thing about my industry is that you're always learning. Do it because you fall in love with it. Yeah. Um, it's too hard to <laughs> do it if you if you just want to make a buck because you won't. Um, yeah. You know, all the successful chefs are, are, are guys that have uh, are really, they're a chef's chef. They love it. They love what they do. They, they're very passionate about it, very passionate about produce. Um, and, yeah, do it for that reason. Do it for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. I, I would give the same advice to anyone who wants to get into landscaping as well. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a hard career. You've got to love it. Well, Yeah, absolutely. And, Matt, I know you're incredibly busy, so I just want to say thank you so much for your time. I'm sure mm -hmm. the listeners have loved this one. Mate, absolute pleasure and, and good, to, good to see your face, buddy. Yeah, nice to see you again. Yeah. It is now time for our community questions and we'll start with Erica from Brisbane. She says, hi, Charlie. What a great podcast. Thank you, Erica. I've started growing my own lettuce and other veggies since the prices went through the roof and my lettuce has some bugs eating them. To be honest, they haven't grown strongly. I planted them in new potting mix and have watered them well. Any tips on how I can grow bumper lettuce and save some money? Well, if you've got some bugs, there's a few things you can do to treat those. First of all, you can pick them off by hand. That works really well. You could also grow some companion planting around them, things like marigolds. So they'll actually attract the bugs to them instead of your lettuce. And then you can rip those out when they've finished and the bugs have gone elsewhere. If you have a huge infestation, you can make a mix of olive oil, water and a couple of drops of detergent and that will knock out a strong uh, infestation of bugs. With lettuce, they need quite a lot of sun and you need the soil to be quite um, quite full of organic matter. So potting mix probably isn't the right choice for you. You can get some potting mix, maybe mix a bit of cow manure through it and that should do the trick. Virginia has sent through a question saying, Hi Charlie, I've just discovered your podcast and I've binge listened to them all. I hope you work out Maggie's burnt fig ice cream recipe. Well, I haven't done that, that's for sure, but I am certainly still buying it from the shop. I've looked at several YouTube videos on citrus pruning and they do a harsh prune and the regrowth is prolific. Should I be doing this? Well, that's a great question. If your citrus is no longer producing as many fruit as it has done, a really harsh prune will promote lots of growth. You may not get fruit that year, but you'll get a huge amount the following year. You can also do it if you're thinking about digging the tree up and moving it to another location. My final message is from James. Well, it's actually from James, who's a five-year-old. Well, thanks, James. Your typing is excellent. I'm assuming that perhaps your grandma has sent this through. Oh, yes. He says he likes he likes gardening with his grandma and his grandpa, which is great. Uh, but he gets bindies in the grass. So bindies are a bit of an issue. Uh, there are specific herbicides that work just on bindies, but you want to get to these before they come to flower, because once they've gone to flower, they grow to seed, and the seed is the thing that gets stuck in your foot. 
He's also asking about avocados and they've got a Hass avocado and what is the best place to plant it in the garden? Well, with a Hass, you'll need two avocados. You need type A and type B so the flowers will cross pollinate and you'll get fruit. If there is another one in the neighborhood, that might do the trick. But imagine that this tree is gonna get quite large so you need to give it the space that it needs. Do you have a gardening question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to charlie at still.com.au. Well, all this talk about food today has me drooling. Matt Moran was amazing. It's great to hear his understanding and connection to local produce for the best flavours. If you want to grow veggies at home, particularly larger quantities, remember to plan your crops and how you're going to use or preserve them. Don't forget there's always going to be excess and you need to know what to do with it. When it comes to cooking, just keep it simple. Fresh produce is the way to go. And you need to garden and cook because you love it. It's as simple as that. I really enjoyed hearing Matt talk about his passion for cooking. Thanks for listening to That's How We Grow in partnership with Still Garden Power Tools. Need the tools to take on any garden challenge? Go to the Still website or head to your local Still dealer today. There are over 600 local dealers across Australia and you can find your local Still dealer on the website. On our next episode, I'll chat with Lee Sullivan. She's behind the very popular Instagram page, Urban Veggie Patch. Lee shares with her community great advice for growing vegetables at home and has a huge following. We'll cover topics including what vegetables to get started with in the garden and how you can save money with your own produce. As always, this episode will be around in two weeks' time.